special, special program today because we have an incredible woman that I admire so much. She's gorgeous. She's inside and out. Felicia Morrell. And if you haven't met her, here you go. Here's your chance. So welcome, Felicia. I'm so thrilled that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. It is really a joy to be with you today. Thank you. You're so welcome. So I was looking at when I was kind of like, checking you out, trying to figure out, okay, so what's, you know, what are different things to bring up? There's just a little quote and I think it's on you. You do copy editing. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Now I, I just thought this was such a great launching point because one of your little taglines or whatever you want to call it is helping others polish the beauty of their story. And there's so many layers to that. And I thought, oh, what that's like a mission statement, not just even like a copywriting statement, right? This is what we need to be for one another. Yes. Um, so that is beautiful. So kind of as a launching point, can you tell us a little bit about your story? I can. I'll start there and I'll work my way backwards. And and it really is a mission statement for me. I think where I've landed in life is that I just really love people. And so the way I do that professionally is with freelance copy editing. I get to work with authors that are, um, you know, in the process of writing. And I am generally one of the last people to put my eyes on their books before they are released. So um, I get to find kind of all the things that need to be fixed so that the story flows well and so that there's some consistency and detail. But I also have... Um, a real passion for spiritual companionship as well. And so I get to accompany people and just the the sacred act of deep listening, of sitting with them, of allowing them to tell me how love is showing up in their life and how they are participating with the divine. And then, you know, sometimes asking questions, but really just allowing the mystery of wisdom to unfold in them for them to kind of see that themselves and and see where the stories may have some exaggerations or some illusions or some injured expectations that are, you know, preventing that flow. Um, how I got to be that person today, I was born in the city. I was born in Washington, D.C., and raised in a very small southern town in Johnston County, North Carolina. Um I was a post-abortive teen. Um, I was a single teen mom, and then I married young, and my husband and I have been married for 30 years, and I was telling you earlier that we have four adult children. They are between 32 and 25. Um, we were a military family, and now we're not. My husband and I were pastors at one point, and now we're not, but I think Beyond the facts and the lived experiences that kind of form and shape me and influence me, ultimately, the biggest part of who I am and what happened to me in the midst of my journeying is that love showed up and love changed me, right? And so... (laughs) Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I love that. It is. Well, I mean, I was just going to add that it's it's that transformation of... um, 
that still remains an invitation of salvation day by day to me. You know, sometimes I'm really good at saying yes to love um, and following where <laughs> love leads. And sometimes I suck at it. <laughs> you but- do. I feel a little better. <laughs> Thank you for that. The audience feels a lot better. Yes. We're impressive. Yes. There's always that invitation. That, <laughs> there's always that invitation to return, to return. But, you know, I was blind and I was constrained by habitual ways, habitual ways of seeing. Um, And then love invited me to see with new eyes and to participate in noticing. And so who I am today and the part of my story that I want to be known is that each day I am attempting to see more clearly, to see as love sees, and then to be a truth teller and a voice that transcends divides. Um, that includes, that affirms, that speaks to the heart of humanity and both cheering them on and challenging them. So that's kind of. Wow. Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm getting tears. That's beautiful. Oh my goodness. I just love that so much. And you have been through some stuff. Yeah. You know, you've been through some stuff and, and, and it's amazing. So when you, you talked about love showing up, was that like, um, like you had a, an encounter, like one encounter is this is, I know it's an ongoing process because, you know, it's, an, but in terms of like being able to, wow, this is what it's really all about. This is what it looks like. Um, was that like a, 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 a big event in your life or something no. just a little more subtle? I, I think I probably would have ruined my life without it. Um, and yeah, it was an encounter and it, and it has been an ongoing invitation of, sustained encounters that, you know, go on and on. But, um, you know, I, part of my, I call myself a um, religious mutt and that my, my (laughs) religious background is very, is because I grew up in a rural town. um, You didn't have a preacher available every Sunday. And so, you know, first and third Sunday, we went to the AME church with my dad's people, which is African Methodist Episcopal. Second and fourth, we went to UCC with my mom's people, which was United Church of Christ. And then my grandmother lived in Washington, D.C., where I was born, and she was a missionary Baptist there. So my brother and I would spend three months of the year with her, and we were Baptist then. And then at 12, my my mom became a a born-again believer, and we started doing word of faith kind of things like the Kenneth Copeland and uh, Kenneth Hagen and or Roberts and that. And so I've had all of these touches of different religious experience. And then um, as an adult, my husband and I were very much involved in um, the Toronto Blessing and uh, Bethel mm-hmm. Reading um, and that type uh, of things. And so uh, one of the things that happened for me is um, – a gentleman from New Zealand who used to teach a lot at in Toronto um, came and essentially talked about a revelation of the father's love and about, um, you know, God is father. And I can say that in all of my religious upbringing, my, this multicolored code of religion, I really had never heard anyone ever say that wow. there was a father in heaven and he loved you. And um, and I think it was the piece that was missing for me. I knew God as a punisher. I knew um, God as an enforcer. I knew 
that hell was a place that I did not want to go. And I really felt like I was only being a Christian because I didn't want to go to hell. Yeah. It was very fear-based. So, yeah. yeah. So some healing. I mean, you know, in every one of those streams, because I did a lot of that stream to stream and not, not on purpose. It was just kind of how God led and, you know, and, and there's value in each and there's stuff with each. And so kind of like, you know, everything, but, you know, but it does give you some valuable perspectives along the way, but having that personal encounter, oh my goodness, to know that God is is new. Once you taste and see that love is good, no matter what you face, you, you don't unknow that, like that sustains you. It is a sustaining kind of thing that I don't know that with my head. I don't know that because it's someone else's interpretation. I don't know that because someone said that to me. I know that because I encountered that. And no matter whatever happens, that will never, ever change. Like that's an anchor for me that I can tether my entire existence to. But it it also became the face of truth for me, right? And so, so every place of deception, every place of delusion, every place of violence, every place of rage, that I had built into who I who I was and who I thought I needed to be as as love became a place of safety for me, then I could turn toward myself and face those things um, with truth and allow love to bring truth and transform me into who really I already, you know, have always been. Yeah, it's just that stuff of life gets kind of mucked on top of us. Sure does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, sure does. Oh, that's that's so amazing. So um, I was just looking through my my questions and kind of like, oh, does this still good? So, uh, you know, we all have um, we were all created as one, right? But we and we have different stories that cross so many lines, including racial lines, which is a big, big area that that you can speak into for us. You know, what suggestions do you have to help us really love one another? You know, we're all one, but we do have different. We, we want to celebrate our oneness, but we also want to celebrate our diversity. And there's a lot of pain there, so much pain. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes like, you know, for me as Caucasian woman, whatever, um, and I, I'm, I'm trying to like, do my best to love well and I make it worse. You know what I mean? (laughs) My intentions may be really good, but I may just suck and make it worse or whatever. And, you know, so my heart is like, Oh, help me see with eyes, help me see with new eyes and love the ones in front of me, but also love. It's not my experience. It's not my whatever, but it's so important and it matters. Yeah. It does matter. Thank you for that. And and I think my husband always talks about intent versus impact. And I, I think that's the thing. Um, Doug and I were having this conversation actually because just recently, because of something of um that was going on with his job. But it it led me to talk about how, you know, this place that we are learning and something that was new, that is new to us, has been um being champions of LGBTQIA plus inclusion and affirmation. And sometimes even in that, um, he was making a point about something at work and saying, well, if we can't do that now, maybe we can do it during Pride Month. 
And someone uh, came back and said, you know, please don't ever say that again. That's offensive. Like that is hurtful. And, you know, he was saying if that wasn't my intent. And so I went back, you know, I said, you're always talking about intent versus impact. And so, you know, the intent of your heart was never to harm or to do that. But the impact of someone who has to live daily with um, denial and not being included and not being welcomed for who they are, um, how that came across could definitely, you know, be offensive. And, and I said, you think about it as a Black person, if someone said, oh, we only want to celebrate this during Black History Month. And while, you know, part of you is saying, oh, well, at least that's a start, that there's at least a starting place of, of recognition for some people, and everyone is you know, not a monolith, but for some people that the impact of how that is said would cause harm. And so it's not that we're never going to mess up because we will, but it is how we walk through um, with each other, how we commune with each other, you know, when those things happen. And so for me, when you talk about this idea of a cross-racial line celebrating both our similarities and our diversities, I think of um, Beatrice Buteau, and I don't know if you know her, um, she's passed now, but she wrote a book called the Holy Thursday Revolution. And in this book, one of the things she talks about is the validity of Jesus and how Jesus interacted with everyone as social equals, how he showed the same respect, the same deference to all people. It didn't matter if they were in power or marginalized or his friends, no more, no less. Um, she talks about how equality was a central tenet of Jesus's revolution. And I wonder if we were to embrace the communion paradigm that Jesus modeled for us in the biblical narrative, um, this communion paradigm that Rito talked about in her book, if we were to use that as a way to kind of love and embrace one another. But ultimately what I think is that this is an invitation among us all in today's time really for us to hold distinctions and differences as reverently as we hold unity and to allow the particularity of diversity, um, you know, while we honor how we're common, right? So Fred, Fred, Frederick Douglass, <laughs> messing up his name, Frederick Douglass said, um, mankind differ as the waves, but they are one as the sea. That's, ooh, that's beautiful. Isn't that? Uh, I think if we begin with compassion and curiosity, we don't necessarily have to parse differences from similarities. You know, the waves and the sea are both together. And so we don't have to be afraid of our differences or elevate our similarities over our differences. Because when we start doing that, we go back to hierarchy. We go back to rank and file and countering and measuring. And all of those are systems of patriarchy that perpetrate the dominion paradigm, you know. But I think if we begin with compassion and curiosity, that there's room for both to allow both differences and similarity. Can I allow you to be you and value you with your whole being? Yeah. Really the question. Uh, and that's so, I mean, that is so 
but so God, right? He, he loves, he honors everyone. And that's so much of the joy, you know, that we get to enjoy one another. Yeah. And um, that's just, that's just beautiful and making it a safe place. Cause when, when you have been harmed, you know, it's, um, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. It's hard to trust. It is. It's hard to trust. And, you know, yeah, that's, that, that's, a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing. That was really beautiful. Um, one of the things that, you know, uh, I was, I was going to ask you and you kind of already answered it. So I think I'm going to skip that one, but you have a new book coming out. Yeah. And what is the title of the book? The title of the book is called and A N D. Ooh, (laughs) that's so fun. Okay. Go ahead. um, The thread of love. Oh, okay. It is so my hot button. And I was going to, would you mind reading us something from it? Do you have something that you could share? Because she is a poet. <laughs> Love this. I do. I chose two poems from it. Oh, good. Um, that I can share. from. And so I asked my girls, I had like, like four that I wasn't sure. And so I asked the girls if they would help me. And they each showed a different one. So I will, will share um, the two. I love it. So the first one, um, that which is one cannot be divided. Love is whole. Mm -hmm. Even with my broken, shattered parts, I am whole. Separation is merely an illusion. And yet my brokenness is as real as the diverse paths and multiple journeys of all the people, animals, plants, and fish. Love is whole. Love is every part of the sum. Love does not deny my fragments. It simply gathers the remains. So nothing is ever lost. I eat this bread. I drink this cup. Bread is the body, the life-giving sustenance that nourishes the heartbeat of love. Love is the thirst-quenching flow of wet from the cup. I am the bread. I am the cup. The body is me, the cup is we, melding into source as a raindrop finds its home, melding back into the ocean. Love is whole, love is me, love is we. All the fragments we gather and deeply held, love is whole. Wow. Wow, that's beautiful. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Wow. And then the the last one I'll share is just one on friendships. Okay. Um, they say beauty is found amid the shadows, shifting through the rubble of seasons, times past. Friends who come, friends who go, moving on with the context of life. They say understanding is birth in conversation, deepened by knowing, by asking, by listening. Words fluttering settling into unforgettable places. The rhythm of their lives weaving a composition that speaks of trust, of love, filled with sharp staccatos of laughter, punctuated by rapt rest and quiet pauses. They say friends can redeem unintended pain, 
the misses of life that leave holes where light begs to fill. And if all they say is true, then divine love indeed restores and renews all things. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that, that line of um, friends can redeem unintended pain. Yeah. Wow. How does that walk out for you? You were talking a while ago about wasn't active listening. It was, it was, it was a great word, but I am totally missing it. Do you remember uh, something or, or intentional listening or something as a way to honor and a way to, um, to give value? Yeah. Um. So what was the terminology you're using? Sorry. Uh, deep listening. Oh, deep. Li- okay. Deep, <laughs> deep listening. Okay. I mean, that is huge because that's you engaging with someone else's soul right and creating a space to pull out the things that are deep it's generous and you know and i was thinking about that in connection to that one line it's like friends can heal unintended pain because i was thinking about you know i mean we're talking about intentions versus impact and so you know if i'm walking around you know and i've got I'm just crashing into things and I'm trying to take ballet steps, but I'm just, you know, and I'm hurting people. Yeah. You know, it's unintended pain, but it's still pain. And then I'm thinking, how, how do we walk that out? That was one of the, and I was kind of thinking of maybe some practical things um, because you were, you had mentioned that deep listening, like in order to understand your pain, I have to listen And, um, I think we suck at listening a lot. I mean, that's just amazing that you, I mean, I, I I do. Yeah. Um, but love listens. Yeah. Love is all about knowing and wanting to be known. And the only way to do that is to listen and commune. Do you have help helps for us? as crappy listeners. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think for me, and it's, it's a, it's a long winded kind of answer because it's a lot of pieces to it. But I think when we talk about, you know, sucking at listening, part of it is because we tend to be unaware of ourselves. We tend to be numb to ourselves. And so, um, the way we become good listeners is really tied to our healing. Right. And so so that healing for me involves what I call the four H's. There's heart, humility, honesty and humanity. It all goes together. And you can't give away something that you do not yet possess. Can, I, so, can I just pause? So so let me just repeat this because I want to get this. So heart, yeah. humility, honesty. And what was the last one again? Humanity. Humanity. What a wow. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I just had to pause for okay. myself. Okay. Sorry. Keep on going. I totally interrupted you. You can't give away something that you don't possess. Mm-hmm. And so if you haven't learned to listen to yourself, right? Ooh. To mm-hmm. listen to your own emotions, mm-hmm. to listen to your discomfort, um, to listen to that inner knower, then it's hard for you to offer you know, we rush past, we move quickly. And so 
if we don't know how to sit with ourselves and silence enough to listen to ourselves, then it will be hard for us to listen deeply to creation. It will be hard enough, hard for us to listen deeply to the divine. It will be hard for us to listen deeply to one another and to that. And so to thine own self, listen deeply, you know, and when we can begin to listen to ourselves and give ourselves the gift of unconditional acceptance and the gift of unconditional love, then I think we're able to turn that around and make that an idea as a way of life that we can offer this to one another. And, but if we are just in avoidance in a place of dishonesty in a place of denial, which um, Emmanuel Echo says that is, don't even know I am lying, you know, then we cannot extend to our brothers and sisters this idea of, of listening. But in order to get to a place of deep listening, we have to heal ourselves. We have to heal our rigidity with perfectionism. We have to heal our distrust, which you mentioned earlier about that. You know, we have to heal our sense of apathy and detachment to social issues. Um, we have to heal the ways that we don't even realize we believe we are superior. And because we're not yet acquainted enough with ourselves to know that love will sustain us, even as we risk being misunderstood, we have to heal the fear um, that, you know, fear of using our voice to speak truth to power. And so once we begin to heal, because it's in the heart that all wars are won. Yeah. But once we heal and we start doing our own inner work, then what happens is as the divine burns away all that opposes the kindness of love, then we're able to turn ourselves with honesty, with humility toward humanity. And the overflow of that is what it spills out to our interconnectedness. It spills out to that place of, you know, back again to where Jesus having treating everyone as equals and being able to have deep conversations with people, serious, meaningful conversations with people and listen deeply. But it starts back with Aaron Hillen. Uh, oh, well, you're, you're preaching my language. That's, that's so amazing because we do have a relationship with ourselves. Yeah. And if we don't, if we're disconnected from our own heart, we don't even know what's going on there. Right. right. We don't even know we're having all these issues um, that totally impact our ability to love others well. Yeah. You know? They're not separate from one another. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is so, so true. I love, I love that you started with that because it makes so much sense. And that honesty piece is so huge, which means why we kind of need our feet to the fire in a good way, the, the, the God fire, <laughs> the love, the fires of love, right. To just to burn and just to confront like, honey, that's not love. That's not you. Right. And it's, it's painful. We, 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 you know, we tend to run away from painful things, but truth, truth is always, all always will bring freedom. Even if it, we have to walk through pain in order to get there. Yeah. yeah. So that is, that is, wow. That is huge. Now you do, um, life coaching, you said, 
She's a master life coach, not just life coaching, but master life coach. Well, that only means that I spent three years getting a certification. So it's a different level of training. But um, I do more spiritual companionship now than I do life coaching because Mm -hmm. I want to empower people to connect to their own inner knower and to take their hand and put it into the hand of the divine and leave it there. And so I, I don't want to be um, the mediator that people have to run, run to. I want to be to accompany alongside um, because I think part of the reason why we have such a hard time with interactions is we rob people of power. And if we don't move from power over to power with where I'm powerful and you're powerful and we can walk alongside each other sharing that power, then we'll always be, you know, thinking that the first shall be last and the last shall be first means subversive of power or just flipping the hierarchy. And I don't think the circle of life was was ever meant to be hierarchical, you know, so, so instead of trying to tell someone what to do or coach someone into an answer or cajole or any of those things. I just and we I, have the answer. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not as smart as you. We're all smart. <laughs> you know, oh. um, you are a genius too. And so I just love accompanying people. So I do a lot more spiritual companionship, but that was a very expensive certification. So I still keep it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it probably comes in handy every now and then. Um, I mean, there's value in all of it. Now the spiritual, com- I'm so curious about this. This sounds amazing i mean i've I've never heard that like terminology is this more like prayer is this um so spiritual companionship people some people say some people use the language of spiritual direction or a spiritual guide i have had years of being a pastor i no longer want to be anyone's guide or leader or director um, I really want to be a companion. I, so. I really, I tell my kids the same thing. Like, <laughs> I, I was a homemaker for 30 plus years and you know, whatever, like I'm retired from that. Yeah. So you know, you can't retire from being a mom. Sure. I'm retired. If you need me to put on the role and function, I'll be glad to, but I would much rather be a friend. So, yeah. um, you know, so I just like accompanying people. And so what generally what happens is, um, once a month, sometimes twice a month, my companionees will, you know, call or FaceTime or Zoom and we share a conversation and they tell me how the divine is showing up in the world, how they are participating with that. And I listen, I listen. And a lot of times people don't have someone to really listen deeply enough to what the heart is saying or to hear the places of wonder inside of, of their moments. And so I get to companion them and listen to the journey of their life and then just reflect back to them how love is showing up. What's what's wonder, Where is the wonder in their life? So, Felicia, let me ask you, where is love showing up in your life right now? Oh, I love that question. Can you hear? I absolutely love that question. Um, I think for me right now, love is showing up in um, in the city. So we are in Phoenix for 2023. And I 
I draw my energy from big cities. I love being in big cities. I love culture. I love food. I love arts. And so for me, um, the wonder of the day has been where love is showing up. And that might be just walking in my neighborhood or it may be a chance to go to a museum or try a new restaurant or visit the gardens or curl up with a good book. But I am just open to how love shows up in my day. Yeah. So and so and it's showing up in so many maybe ordinary ways or whatever, but the it it sounds like you've been able to connect with like the ordinary in kind of a wondrous way, you know, that you're seeing it with fresh eyes and and as a as the gift. Well, I hope so. I mean, I I as I said, I was a homemaker, so my life was dedicated to raising um kids. And after the kids left there were moments that I was lost because so much of who I was, um, was mom. And so, and then after mom, what I became was a friend. And so I have a beautiful group of ladies in Atlanta, Georgia, where we used to live. And once a month we would all get together and go out for dinner together and break bread and, you know, share bottles of wine. And, and we talked about everything and anything. And, we it was a very diverse group of ladies we did not all have the same religious background sexual orientations racial class it was just really really diverse and it was beautiful and um and then four years ago we moved away from atlanta and so all i knew was how to be a mom and how to be a friend and we moved to a place where i didn't have either and and so I could either become very depressed mm-hmm. um, in the day to day of my life, or I could find wonder. And so, for some, it's just a mundane kind of thing. But for me, how I participate with love is just to say, "All that is eternal within me greets the wonder of the day." And I look for where love shows up, and and trust that love does. And he always does, doesn't he? I mean, my God. It's, yeah. and, and that's what makes it wondrous yeah. because the ordinary, ordinary becomes wondrous. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is it's there. If we have eyes to see. And that's, isn't that the prayer, right? Like, oh my God, give me eyes. Give me eyes to see the one in front of me. Give me eyes. Give me ears to hear yeah. the heart of the one in front of me. Oh, that's yeah. No, I mean that, that, that's kind of where it's at. And, um, I just, I just love that so much. So any practical helps? I am not like, I am so, I am kind of suburbia. I am not, I love to visit the big city, but I, this is not kind of my hangout, my go-to, but I care. Yeah. And any, any tips to help? I don't know, us that are clueless. (laughs) Someone wants to say, <laughs> help the clueless people. Um, and, There's and probably we, a lot to put on you, but <laughs> something else. <laughs> I just, I, did, I didn't prepare at all for that question. So I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you clueless about and what are you looking for help with? How to, because you met, you mentioned the diversity piece and yeah. you mentioned the being able to see one another and hear one another and and be a safe place yeah 
for people that have been hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is what I'll say. I, 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 I think that difference makes us uncomfortable. And it's a lot of times why we tend to rush to unity, right? And again, I'm sorry. Thank you for saying that. I'm just like, it's kind of one of my pet peeves. We just slap unity together. And it's like, we are not connecting. We are just forcing something and you can't force it. Yeah. You have to woo it or something, but you can't for it's kind of one of my pet peeves. It's like, I, I know the intention's good, but this is not it. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I just had to jump in there. <laughs> I, I, and I, again, I think part of it goes back to um, learning how to be in tune to our bodies so that when we are experiencing discomfort, we know where discomfort shows up in our bodies and we're able to surrender to the discomfort that we're experiencing instead of trying to run away from it. Um. I'm not really good at telling people what to do since I retired from being a mom, but I want to share. I'll support that. (laughs) I want want to share, I want to share stories about my lived experience um, in my relationship with white people. Okay. And so the first story that I want to share is about um, when Doug and I were still a military family. My husband was a um, Naval surface warfare officer And so he would have to go out to sea for six months at a time. And we had, um, we attended a church in Virginia and there were a lot of military families in this church. And so we were really good friends with another family that um, was also a military family. They were a white family with three kids. And at the time, no, we had four, our baby was born. And, um, but one day, when my daughter, Brittany, was 10 years old, she was, she's the oldest, um, my kids would take a nap from one to three. And so one day, Doug was out to sea for six months. I needed to go to the store. And so while they were napping, I told Brittany that I was going to go to Walmart. And I went to the store and left her there. And I got back before the kids woke up. My friend um, called Child Protective Services on me. And... So I did not know that she had called CPS on me. Um, A few weeks later or whatever, CPS shows up at the door, say that I had been reported. They wanted to speak with Brittany. So the lady called Brittany out to the porch, talked to Brittany. She came back and she said, we had a report of you leaving the children home alone. I said, yes, I did go to Walmart. She said, yes, she seems like a very mature 10 year old. And, um, but this is, you know, the standard, this is what we'll have to do. We'll have to do this report. And so I call my girlfriend. I don't want to say her name. But I call my girlfriend on the phone and, and I go, you will never believe what happened. Blah, 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 blah. You know, CPS just showed up and da, da, da. And she's really, really quiet. And I'm not connecting. And then finally she goes, yeah, I know. And I said, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm the one who called. And so... Um, and I said, you did? Why would you do that? And she said, because you, you can't leave your kids at home alone. You you know that. You should know that. And I'm like, but my mom left us at home. She would go to work for hours. And my brother and I would be home alone 
we this like what is she's 10 she's very mature and so she said well i contacted she called another white pastor at our church we went to a multiracial church and talked to them about it and they suggested that she call cps and so she followed through and did that and so i said okay so i said do you realize like they could take my kids away from me and my husband's out to see what am i supposed to do and she said, but you can't leave your kids at home alone. So I called our pastor who the church that we went to was pastored by a white man who of Lutheran background from South Dakota and a black man from Church of God in Christ background from Buffalo, New York. And they have, the church is still in existence in Virginia, have pastored this multiracial church together as a black man and a white man and um, with a very diverse staff. And it's a beautiful thing. But when I called our pastor and I told our pastor what was going on, he, because he was raised in South Dakota on a farm and had lived in a way where at eight he was driving a tractor, you know, this kind of thing. He understood my leaving my daughter at 10 to go to the grocery store back before the other kids woke up from, from a nap. And I share that story because this is the earthiness of our human condition, right? And and that I grew up in one type of a cultural setting where it wasn't strange for right. kids to be home alone, for the neighbors to know you're in the house to watch out for you. Him growing up in South Dakota in a rural in a farming community, it wasn't strange for him. But for this white woman in the culture that she grew up with, it was very strange. And so because it was a should in her cultural background that you don't do it this way. When I did it this way that she was told should not, she called the law to bring order on me. And what could have resulted. Yeah. I mean, why didn't she call you? <laughs> My question to her. That is like scary because boy, once CPS gets involved, it is a mark. Right. Intent versus impact, again, my question to her. But it was, if I did something strong enough, you would get the point and wouldn't do this again. So to her, the intent of her heart was to do something to protect my children, to help me be a better mother. I can see that now way years down the road. You've had some healing there. Oh, God. But I, tell, I tell the story you know, not not to harm her or whatever, but to say what we have to realize when we are before someone else, particularly someone else that doesn't look like us, that doesn't live where we live, because this is also an issue when you have suburb or inner city or rural, um, you know, all those things. We have a set of shoulds. We have a set of ideas. We have a set of beliefs about morals, of our upbringing, of how we deal with our children, of how we deal with morality, of all of this. And we bring all of that with us into a conversation, into how we interact with one another, into how we build a friendship with one another. And sometimes if we do not know how to allow difference and unity to stand side by side, together instead of trying to parse them or make one better than the other, then what will happen is we try to turn the person in front of us into our lived experience. 
very unconscious, right? And so the earthiness of the human condition is not meant to be corrected or eliminated or even transcended for those that are so enlightened. It's just accepted, right? So I, I don't want to be a person that has to choose common or different as greater or better or whatever, particularly if that means that if common means erasing the biodiversity that's present in in our in our earthiness, right? This is the dynamism of, of the human complexity. It's the web that that feeds us, the web that gives us. But if I think that the way this person lives their life should mirror mine because this is all I know, then I will miss the beauty of that biodiversity. So for her, so she's like, okay, I'm white suburban and we don't do this and whatever. I, I guess the part that shocks me some is that she would, I mean, and Bless her heart. She went to the pastor. You know, she's trying to get wise counsel or whatever. But you were her friend. Yes. And so you give your friends the benefit of the doubt. You go to your friends. It's like, is this okay with you? Because I, it's kind of freaking me out. So help me out here. Yes. And, you know, in, in accepting ourselves and in our just where we're at, just what our, you know, that's normal where I come from. Right. Um, and all of that, of course, I love my kids every much bit as much as you love your kids. And this is just how we do it. Um, uh, for her, I mean, would her having called you and saying, you know, I'm concerned, this is freaking me out. <laughs> help me out here, whatever. I mean, would that have been, I mean, obviously I think would have been a better way to handle it, but like we need to communicate, right? Or we need to whatever, because, you know, she doesn't love your kids more than you love your kids, you know? Well, I think, you know, we can all look at it like, what could she have done differently? And we've, we've definitely had that conversation um, years later, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, but the thing, the reason why I share that story is because what I want to remember each time, no matter who the person is be before me, is that before I place my shoulds on them, yeah, I remember that this is a person that has an origin story that is different from mine. Even if that person has the same color skin, we still have different oh, origin stories. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so and their lived experience is different. And so if my first thing is to move in judgment and assumption yeah, instead of compassion it. and curiosity, exactly. then I will bring all of me to this mm -hmm. and project that onto them and say, this is what they should, this is how they should live their life. This is what they should do. They should be married, have children, blah, 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 blah. And even with having daughters. One of my daughters is married, one is not. One was recently married, but she was dating for several years before she got married. And my, my heart was, even if her and her partner just remain partners and never actually officially get married, I'm okay with that because that's what she's chosen for her. 
So instead of making assumptions and judgments based on my lived experience, if I can come with unconditional acceptance to this conversation, right, to this person and offer them mutuality, offer them kenosis, which is this, the emptying of myself so that we meld together in this interconnectedness without bringing my assumptions, my judgments, my wanting to corral you into my version of law and order to make you be what I need you to be so that I am less afraid. I feel comfortable. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that I can manage my discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and so I think what, what happens as we learn to listen deeply to ourselves is we get to the place where we can sense that discomfort arising. And instead of trying to force someone to do something or be something or act a certain way, we can turn back to ourselves in our quiet time and ask ourselves, why is this discomfort arising? What is it that I have known or been taught or believed all my life that now when I am in this situation, this makes me uncomfortable, right? And why do I need to be why do I need to prove that I am good instead of knowing that I am good? How do I? I did the same. Mm-hmm. I'm wanting to be a good interfaith person. I wanted a Muslim friend. And I kept praying, oh, God, bring me a Muslim friend. Bring me. But why did I want a Muslim friend? Did I want a Muslim friend just to check the box to say I had a friend of a different faith? Yeah. Did I want a friend for knowing and if I really wanted a Muslim friend, was I going to go to a mosque to find one? Was mm-hmm. I going to be willing to put myself mm-hmm. into situations and environments where Muslims exist? Or did I just really want to say that I wanted a Muslim friend? Yeah. And check the box. Make yourself feel good. Yeah. But it's it's disingenuous because that's not real friendship. It's right. like, oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Boy, we... Right. There's so, so much that we, that's knowing ourselves and that honesty piece yeah. that you were. Back to that. And so I don't, I don't know that if there is a, um, like a manual or rule book or. Oh, I wasn't going to ask you for that. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I kind of that would be a check the box thing. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. I, I, because I think um, part of it is when we participate with love, we show up in front of one another and it's like, it's it's like the sea, really. There are times when it may ebb, there are times when it may flow. But if I come to it with this in mind, like, oh, if I do X, Y, Z, I'm a good ally or I'm a good friend or, or you know, I'm showing up in this cultural moment, then I'm missing the moment of being present with it. Because I've already bought my presuppositions, my shoulds, my rules into this instead of just being, instead of offering myself. And that's the part of the deep listening. So Layla Saad, who is the author of um, Me and White Supremacy, she once said, the experience of racism for those of us on the receiving end of it is not detached or efficient. It is a non-step intergenerational, personal, physical, and spiritual assault of the mind, body, and soul. 
There's no one, two, three step formula to fixing that because this work isn't about fixing. It's about healing. It's absolutely. Yeah. That's about it. And that, and that can only happen when we kind of offer ourselves, right? You're talking about kenosis, offering ourselves. Yes. And that means being vulnerable. Yes. And that means risking being misunderstood. It does. It means allowing the walls to be down, to be there, you know, so that we are present, that we are present with loving kindness with ourselves first and then out to other people as well. And, And that's so good because, yeah, we can't give away what we don't have. You know, that's really, it's really true. These are deep, deep things. it's good it's so good i know i think if we can get to a place where we can celebrate commonalities and differences in equal measure um then you know we we will be able to sit with our discomfort a little bit more than trying to just get back to um just get back to something that's more homogenous yeah yeah but that's how we grow you know That's and you know that's where that's where love is perf- perfected you know i was thinking about <clears throat> you were talking about jesus and <clears throat> how he just loved and honored everybody you know and and he could see them yes and there's something about seeing and and being seen yes. but that takes taking off the masks and yes. taking off the agendas and the checklists and and showing showing up in a very organic way that's really beautiful and when you think about something organic it takes time right it's the organic process is very slow and we have been used to um how hormones are injected to cause speedy growth cause things to happen really fast and so even in this work with along racial lines we want quickly to get to away from discomfort into, oh, this kumbaya state of, it's all good. It's, I'm a good person. Look at me. I'm a good person. I'm being good. See? And if each person could just show that they're a good person, then we'll be healed. And something organic is slow work. We may not see an actual end result of it in our lifetime on this earth, but we can still participate. And that participation happens as we move in the circle of life love you know yeah it's such an inside out thing yes it's such an which which is why it all starts with that relationship it's it's inside out and that's always a slow process but it's it's real yeah and it's an ongoing ongoing process right that never we never reach a point where oh did it healed checked all the boxes Touched every bit of trauma, every bit of brokenness. Never have to do that again. No, no, no. I, I, I hear you. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. That's so good. That's okay. so good. Oh, Felicia, I have loved this. I love you. I think you are amazing. I'm. I feel so honored just to be sitting and hearing you share and just share your heart. It's just so beautiful. So thank you so much. Thank you and for I, the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I hope I can have you back sometime again. Yeah, I would absolutely so, love that. Yeah.
Awesome. Well, where, where, when is your book coming out? Where can they find you? Where can they get your book? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and the thread of love will be out in late April and it will be sold on Amazon and then eBooks and Barnes and Nobles and, you know, those kinds of places. And people can find me on, I'm on Facebook. You can follow me on Facebook. And then I'm also over on Instagram, um, sharing poetry every now and then. It's been very sporadic. Uh, my mom passed away last year and I told my husband, it felt like all my words went away when she passed away. And so I've been slowly coming back to some writing processes. Um, but Instagram is at hello. Felicia underscore Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L. And um, and then Facebook is just my name, Felicia Merle. So those are the two places where I'm chopping it up on online most of the time. And um, and then the book will be out on Amazon when it's ready to be sold. Oh, that will be so beautiful. I'm, I'm so looking forward to that. I When you're reading it, I was just bathing. It was just beautiful. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And, um, now you have a, and, and if someone wants some copy writing, copy editing, where yeah. can they find you? Yeah. My website is wisecouncil.com, Y-Z-C-O-U-N-S-E-L. And they can find me there for copy editing and proofreading and those kinds of services. Yeah. That's so great. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a link there. So also, you know, if someone's interested in spiritual companionship, they can use that website and just email me and I will link. Okay. Lots going on. That's amazing. I know. Yay. Well, I love it. I'm, 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 I'm a fan. I know, but I, I, um, uh, I, I know I'm going to listen to this again and just enjoy it. Um, and I am so looking forward just to seeing kind of what your next thing is. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Thank you very much, Catherine. That was so great. Yay. Well, everybody, um, like this, share this. People need to hear um, and find Felicia and grab her book, support her. Thank you so much. And yeah, and everybody, you have a great day. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit catherinetoon.com.